0: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode one hundred sixty-four. Hollow Pursuits.
1: Welcome to another edition of Mission Log,
2: a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion, and I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we talk over a Star Trek story, sifting through for messages and meanings and elements that might be beneficial in this 21st century world in which we live. This week, Hollow Pursuits. Hello, hello, <laughs> that never gets old for me. You know, it, it, it's, it's so it's hollow and holla, like, yeah. like the bread. I, which I love I drives love my him. wife insane though because she likes to use it. She likes to cook with it. She likes to do things with it. Mm-hmm. And every time she says, "Will you go get me a, a loaf of hala? Yeah, there's there's absolutely nothing I can do <laughs> <laughs>
1: except. Make it looks noise. like it's hollow with holo because you know the the holodeck h o H-O-L-O, l o. This is of course h o l l o w. So we've just
2: so many versions. Hmm. And yet, do you, do you think those two things might have anything to do with each other? I'm going to say that it be related. Yeah, well, maybe we'll find out when we talk about it. But we got a lot of stuff to do before we actually start talking about that. We've got to talk about some other things, like how people can get in touch with us. At Mission Log Pod. I, I'm doing a weird read on that. It's good. <laughs> Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, <laughs> Skype, and Twitter. And if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love that. 323-522-5641 is the number to call. Our email address is log. At Mm Roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered Documents, is uh, at MissionLogPodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. All kinds of upcoming episodes coming up. But right now, there's trivia coming up right now. (laughs) Thank you, Ken.
1: Today's episode, Hollow Pursuits, was written by Sally Caves. Now, Sally's real name is Sarah Higley. She is an English professor at University of Rochester in New York, and this is her first and only contribution to the next gen, uh, though we will see her name again in Deep Space Nine. But in fact, those are her only produced scripts at all, Uh, though she has been published for fiction writing in journals and books a few times before. uh, She submitted her story idea through an agent and worked with both Iris Stephen Bear and Melinda Snodgrass to hone down the six different plots she had pitched into one story. Now, it was directed by Cliff Bowl. We've talked about Cliff Bowl before. And today's episode got an Emmy nomination for hairstyling.
2: Oh, I will say the hair was really great in this episode. It
1: really stood out. It was was amazing. Yeah, 45 minutes remaining of hair notes in today's (laughs) podcast. Um, Some fun props to point out. Uh, The glass we see in Ten Forward was first seen in Star Trek III. They just hang on to their glasses as long as they can. And uh, the test device that uh, Chief O'Brien uses in the transporter room is actually a real-world device used by the Navy. It's called a sonobuoy, And, uh, yes, many people have pointed out that in the holodeck, Wesley is dressed as the Blue Boy. That is Thomas Gainsbourg's painting from 1770 that now hangs in the Huntington Library in San Marino, California. The portrait is four feet tall, just about life-size, and is believed to be a rendering of Jonathan Butal, the son of a wealthy hardware merchant. Now, Dwight Schultz as Lieutenant Reginald Barclay. This is a role created for him. He was a fan of Star Trek, and like Whoopi, he let it be known that he wanted to be on the show. Only this time he told Whoopi, they were working on a movie together, and she let the production know. Schultz is definitely best known for playing Howling Mad Murdoch on The A-Team, and he even had a cameo in the 2010 A-Team movie along with co-star Dirk Benedict. In fact, the name Reginald Barclay is used for Schultz's cameo scene. Now, he has said in interviews that he was a fan of the original Star Trek and really got his positive view of the future, that he respected Star Trek's ability to take on the big issues where the A-team was more of a cartoon. He said that he would like to be more like Murdoch in real life, but he is really more like Barclay. And it's also pretty well known that for a number of years, Schultz has been an active conservative political commentator and the host of his own political podcast, Howling Mad Radio. In more recent years, he's done a tremendous amount of voice work, and we will see him return to Star Trek.
0: In the 24th century, a socially awkward diagnostics engineer was sent to the Enterprise by a commanding officer who was tired of dealing with him. This man promptly escaped into the holodeck. Still, if you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find him, maybe you can get a day's work out of regs.
2: Prologue. Lieutenant Barclay is one tough customer of 10 Ford, and Guinan is telling him she doesn't want any trouble. Trouble follows Barclay, like the trouble he's about to start with his commanding officer, Geordie LaForge. LaForge tells Barclay that he's on duty and needs to get back to his post. Barclay shoves him back, literally, and that's too much for Commander Riker. He tells Barclay that his shoving of his superior officer is insubordination. Barkley offers a toast to insubordination, downs a shot, and in a flash, has Riker in a headlock, calling him a pretty boy and telling him to tell Picard that if he's got a problem with Barkley, he should come see him himself. All of this is seen by Counselor Deanna Troy, who is visibly turned on by Barkley's power. That'll have to wait, though. Barkley's called to Cargo Bay 5. He orders... What? He orders the holodeck to save his program and heads to Cargo Bay 5. In the Cargo Bay, the real LaForge and Riker are talking about broccoli. <laughs> that's Wesley's nickname for Barclay that's sort of spreading around the Enterprise. Geordie is sick of Barclay. He's always late, his work is mediocre. He wonders how a guy like that even made it through the Academy. Riker thinks they should have a talk with Captain Picard about Barclay. Though, and Lieutenant Duffy just found a broken seal on some container full of some sorts of samples of something, I wouldn't worry about it. In walks Lieutenant Barclay, and immediately tries to hide from Riker and LaForge. LaForge tells him they're having an intermittent problem with the anti-grav unit, fix it, and also, you suck at being Starfleet. Off to work on the anti-grav unit, Barclay is stopped by Commander Riker. I'm tired of reading reports about how much you suck at being Starfleet. Riker leaves the cargo bay, shaking his head as we head to the opening credits. Act 1. It was tissue samples in that container, by the way, donated by the Mikolax for shipment to NAMI-4. The samples could help kill an outbreak of Corellium fever on that world. I wouldn't worry about it. A little bit more about Barkley. He's timid, outside the holodeck. It wasn't just being dressed down by Riker and LaForge. Having spent time working on the anti-grav unit, he's still nervous in his speech. But he tells LaForge that the anti-grav unit should be good now. Except it's not... It goes wibbly-wobbly during Geordi's test of the unit, and another seal gets broken on another can of Micolax. Without saying so explicitly, Geordi reminds Barkley how much he sucks at being Starfleet, and Barkley goes back to trying to figure out what's wrong with the anti-grav unit. In the captain's ready room, Picard is looking over Barkley's file. Boy, does this guy suck at being Starfleet! Geordi has asked him to have him transferred off the Enterprise. Broccoli makes him nervous. Yes, he and Riker just told the captain of Wesley's nickname for Lieutenant Barclay. I wouldn't worry about it. Still, Picard says, cut that out. Also, ever thought about being a leader to this guy? Picard denies the transfer request. If he's not Enterprise material, it is now Geordi's job to make him Enterprise material. Let's see if we can't get him to not suck at being Starfleet. New task in mind, Geordi stops back by Cargo Bay 5, where Barclay... Reg, all of a sudden, is still poring over that pesky anti-grav unit. He can't figure out the problem, but he's got some other ideas. Hey, cool man, whatever. Listen, Reg, why don't you come to the morning meeting and hang out with the cool officers? Reg is nervous, but Jordy insists, in a friendly way. See you at eight in the morning. Cut to eight in the morning and Berkeley is, of course, late. Seven seconds or so, but still... The trip to NAMI 4 will be fairly dull, so engineering will have plenty of time to tech the tack. Young Mr. Crusher will be annoying the engineer. I'm sorry, shadowing the engineering team. Also, Lieutenant Barkley has been working on the anti-grav thing. Why don't you tell everybody about it, Reg? Reg? Hello, is this thing on? Uh, Reg tries to say what his findings were and his plans are, and Wizkid Wesley steamrolls him. Verbally. Jordy kind of corrects Wes, and they move on. Counseling. That's what Reg needs. He goes to see Counselor Troy to talk out his frustration. He wishes he had told Wesley to mind his own business. He seems so much more comfortable with Counselor Troy. But why wouldn't he be? She's a hologram. When she goes to kiss him, he decides on a more idyllic setting. She is the goddess of empathy. They are in a meadow. And now about those lips... In 10-4, Jordy, Wesley, Data, and Lieutenant Duffy, the one who found the broken seal earlier, but probably not important, they're talking over the Barclay situation. Yes, Wes, you're smart, but I'm doing something with broccoli, so let the guy talk, okay? Also, we're not supposed to call him Broccoli anymore. Duffy goes to take a sip of his drink, and hey, this is weird. His glass is solid, but it seems to have not been for a moment. It's got Duffy's handprint in it, and it's leaking. Act 2. Science! Data says the structure of the glass has been altered at the atomic level. Neither Jordy nor Data know why this would have happened. Data says the most likely reason is that the glass came into contact with an unshielded power source. They'll all have to be checked. All 4,000 of them. And Jordy knows just the guy. He hands the task off to Red, who was about to do that anyway. No, seriously. As part of his anti-grav unit investigation... That doesn't seem to make any sense either. Data thinks the two incidents may be linked somehow. On the bridge, Data, LaForge, and Barkley are talking over the issue of the glass and the issue of the anti-grav unit with Commander Riker. Geordi says he won't know whether they need to put in for major repairs until Barkley finishes his checks and tests. Data tells Riker that it was Barkley who made the possible connection between the two incidents, which it wasn't, but Whatever. Likely to boost Barclay's sense of self, Captain Picard comes over to toss him a couple of softball questions. Then he says, I'm looking forward to seeing your report, Mr. Broccoli. Barclay. You knew it was going to happen, but it doesn't make it any easier when it does. In 10 Ford, Geordi is discussing his Barclay situation with Guinan. He just doesn't fit in. Guinan suggests that fitting in might be for losers. You don't understand, Guinan. He's always late. He's nervous. Nobody wants to be around him. Guinan points out that if she felt nobody wanted to be around her, she'd probably be late and nervous, too. Jordy goes to find Barclay in the holodeck. He doesn't radio. He doesn't knock. He just barges into Barclay's fantasy life, where he finds a sort of Rococo Dr. Crusher on a swing, her foppish idiot son eating pie and Reg fighting off the three musketeers, personified by holodeck representations of Data, Picard, and Geordi himself. It's a great fight, though it ends with Barkley realizing, ooh, the real Geordi has seen the whole thing. In Ten Ford, Reg is offering LaForge's his resignation, though Geordi's actually being understanding. Hey, I get the whole holodeck thing. Though recreating people you already know is kind of weird. Still, Jordy says as far as he's concerned, what happens in the holodeck stays in the holodeck. You're just shy. Still, he should probably talk to someone. A real someone. Reg needs to go see Counselor Troy. That's an order. Transporter Chief O'Brien has called LaForge. New engineering issue. The transporter is breaking things that are getting transported. Hey, I wonder if this will have anything to do with the glass in the anti-grav unit. Act 3. The Enterprise will reach NAMI 4 in 22 hours, and this transporter issue is kind of a big deal. Luckily, it's only this transporter room that's having the issue, but who knows whether it'll spread. It's also unclear whether this is tied to the other issues. They'll have to have Barclay look into it at 1,400 hours after his session with Counselor Troy, which is about as awkward as you would expect. Reg pretends that a simple suggestion that he breathe was a big help and gets out of her office as soon as possible. 1400 hours, and Barkley is not on the bridge for his report. And that tears it as far as Riker's concerned. He heads to Holodeck 2 to retrieve the lieutenant with Geordie and Troy tagging behind. Uh, Listen, you need to know that things in the Holodeck are kind of weird. Riker says he does not care. He barges in, and there they are in the meadow, face to face with the three musketeers and the idiot Wesley. Act 4. Riker is not amused. Jordy says he doesn't think there's any rule against using real people in the holodeck. Riker says there ought to be. He orders the computer to discontinue the program, but Troy belays that order. Real life is obviously tough for Barclay. Wreck his escape, and you could wreck the guy. Riker relents, though he does discontinue the image of the comically short, helium-inhaling-sounding replication of himself. The Musketeers are decidedly unhelpful in finding Barkley, and Geordie Riker, and Troy go off to look for him. Troy is lecturing Riker about not taking it all so seriously, until they bump into the Goddess of Empathy. She orders the computer to terminate the program and order Riker belays. Where's your sense of humor? On the bridge? Whoa, that was weird. The Enterprise just bumped itself up to warp 7.25. The matter-antimatter injectors locked for a second... Hey, I wonder if that'll have anything to do with the glass and the anti-grav unit and the malfunctioning transporter. Picard wants Geordi to look into it, and bring Barkley in on this, too. They better find him quick. Oh, there he is, asleep with his head in the lap of Rococo Beverly. On the way to engineering, Geordi is telling Reg again that he gets the whole holodeck thing. Heck, he fell in love in the holodeck one time. But you gotta know when enough's enough. Reg says the people in the holodeck are more real to him than real people, except... Maybe for Jordy. Jordy says he needs Reg in the real world. In engineering, injectors aren't responding to diagnostic commands. Reg thinks they should drop out a warp. But they can't. The mechanism is physically jammed, and suddenly warp is increasing. She's accelerating out of control. And there's nothing Jordy can do. Act 5. At the current rate of acceleration, the Enterprise will break apart in 15 minutes or so. So they got about that long to figure out a fix, or... You know, die. Duffy has a dumb idea. Wes has a dumb idea. Let's recap. A screwed-up glass, a hinky anti-grav unit, a malfunctioning transporter, and the warp injectors going nuts. What is the connection? Barkley thinks the problem might not be a thing, but a person. The only connection between the failing systems is that they're all used or maintained by the engineering crew. Hey, wait a second. It's Duffy and those busted cans of Micolax. Invidium used to be used in medical containment fields and might still be by the Micolax. Duffy touched the busted containers and apparently everything else on the ship. Now the Invidium is wreaking havoc. I say we kill Duffy. Thor fixed the problem, which they do at the very last second. Everybody helped, even the captain, but there's no doubt they couldn't have done it without Reg. It's a shame, then, that he'll be leaving them. On the bridge, all of senior staff and Wesley are assembled to hear his last goodbye. It's been a tough decision, but he has to go. He knows he'll always be welcome there, which makes it particularly difficult to leave. Captain Picard tells Barkley that it was a pleasure to serve with him, and Barkley tells... What? Barkley tells the computer to end and erase all of his holodeck programs. Eh, Except for one. The end. Hey, how about a nice, cool glass of Michelax after the show, Ken? <laughs> you know, when it's time to relax, it's Michelax. I think. <laughs> I think that was Miller. Actually, when it's time to relax and for for great times, make it Santori times. And I don't remember what Michelob was.
1: I don't remember. Yeah,
2: they yeah. weren't the one with the bull, were they? No, that was Schlitz. That
1: was Schlitz. Yeah, yeah, don't 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 mix up your Schlitz. Don't say beer, say bull. <laughs> right. <sighs> hey, um. So I, I wanted to spend a chunk here, just yeah. a, if we could, to talk about how good Dwight Schultz is, okay. and and not just here, but but in a lot of shows. I mean, I remember being what, like, nine, ten, something like that, when the eighteen came on, mm-hmm. and and he was just great, particularly to a nine or ten year old, because here's the crazy guy doing crazy things, and he was playing way over the top, but the risk would be somebody. You know playing someone who had no grounding in reality at all or that could be seen as parody or making fun of of somebody and and there 's always I feel like in his characters a glint of humanity in the eyes and mm. and you can see that there's more to the character than just those surface traits and that 's really not an easy thing to do and and you can see why he would endear himself to audiences with that ability This is a perfect episode where Here's a guy who, on the surface, we, we see the traits. He has this stutter. He doesn't look people in the eye. He's kind of fidgety with his hands. And all of these things could just come across as a guy imitating somebody who is nervous. Yeah. But I feel like he is good enough, he's strong enough, an actor, that you really just immediately feel some empathy with him um, and and really get him in a way that doesn't require everything to be explained.
2: Yeah. There's... Um yeah, it would be easy to do like the whole affectation thing, right, where he has mm-hmm. a twitch or he has a um, it, it, he doesn't even have a stutter. That's the thing. I mean, it's not this is a guy who is genuinely uncomfortable in his skin. And, right. and I think genuinely is the word there. I didn't get the sense that he was playing that in a way, you know, because he never mm. really he never really comes out of it. Like even in the parts where things are getting better, uh, he's still not he's still not 100 percent comfortable um yeah yeah he he yeah, he he does a he does a very good job yes
1: um it's also worth pointing out here that there are some critics who have accused Star Trek through this episode uh, of kind of pointedly commenting on their perception that Star Trek fans are socially awkward can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy and it, it has definitely gone on the record that people working on this episode flatly deny it in fact, Michael pillar has said that a big part of himself is Barclay. (laughs) So, you know, this was about this character and about this incident. There wasn't any sort of underhanded, um, you know, nothing uh, that's sort of taking a jab at this, this sort of popular but unfair idea about Star Trek fans lost in fantasy.
2: Yeah, you can't help but see it, though. I know. I mean, I know. honestly, what I thought of was was um, was the the Shatner um, skit on Saturday Night Live Mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get a life skit, yeah. you know, and yeah, and, yeah. and and right, it's an unfair thing because people, well, whatever. We can have a whole <laughs> big we can have a whole big Star Wars Star Trek uh, discussion at some point if you want to, and and which one is actually the one to get lost in, and which one is better, and why we all do it anyway. I I had mm-hmm. a I had a talk with a friend of mine the other day who was like. I, I offhandedly said, because as we record this, and I'm sorry, I'm going to make this very off the moment. As we record this, we're about a week and a half away from the Force Awakens mm-hmm. uh, coming out, and I said, you know, a movie that you uh, that you know Star Wars fans have been waiting for their whole life, and I had to mm-hmm. explain to them, I was seven when the first one of those movies came out, mm-hmm. and so really, ever after, you are you are always spending your whole life waiting for the next, <laughs> you know, sort of Star Wars thing. We right. get lost in different fantasy things for for different reasons, I suppose. It's weird, though, when people sort of criticize you for the Star Trek one, because at least it was trying to do good, not just blow stuff up. Ooh. Well, I'm not... I'm, <laughs> look, I, I'm not saying Star Wars doesn't have... I, I just said I've been waiting my whole life for the next Star, Trek, Star Wars movie, <laughs> right. whatever the next one is. Right. Uh, at the same time, it's... Let's move on.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I I, I get it. I, I mean, the other part of it is just pointing out that here's a guy who was socially awkward. and, yeah, and again, and that's why I wanted to, to precede it with the thing about Dwight Schultz because you could also just be saying, well, people who are into Star Trek are this nerdy, awkward. You know, uh, uh, the, the, this guy you can't can't associate with real people. So, and again, that's this popular but unfair perception, but you have a guy like Dwight Schultz playing that. And I think through every effort of this episode, through the writing, through Dwight Schultz's performance, uh, they definitely try to elevate it beyond something that, that could be perceived as that. So what I'm saying is I get where people could see it, but I also, I, I do not think that that was anywhere near the intention. Um, let me ask you something. If we didn't have Guyton here... Do, doing her Guinan thing and mm-hmm. being the wise old sage of 10 forward lounge would all of these other people have figured out what to do on their own I mean it took Geordi getting an order from his captain but right. then sort of dragging his feet and complaining to the bartender like oh I've got to work with this guy who I don't want to work with
2: yeah <laughs> you know? So, could we also talk about the fact that he's openly discussing problems with his subordinates in mm-hmm. the bar with somebody yeah. who is not even even a member of the crew really i mean i know yeah. picard considers yeah. her a member of the crew but she is the bartender right yeah there's right. There, yeah, there, little... there are a few questions of propriety i know we're going to get to some of them in a bit but yeah yeah, yeah good thing she was there and good thing that uh you know geordie has zero boundaries when it comes to talking about his staff <laughs> issues right
1: um Oh, uh Barclay does refer to a flux capacitor. And <laughs> a lot of people know that. It's kind of an in joke that, that in the previous scene it had been a flow capacitor mentioned by someone else in the crew, but then when he reiterates the story to Deanna, he messes it up as a flux capacitor. And that was an intentional intentional little joke there. Thank you, Doc Brown. Um Ken, there's a lot of things that I'm I'm kind of sad about not having in the 24th century. You remember way, way back when we talked about uh, the naked now. Yes. And You're knew upset that there are no parties. I know. Yeah.
2: You're upset and, there are no parties. You're upset. I don't know. Are you upset that there are no Christmas parties or just parties in general? Wild parties. parties in general. Okay.
1: Parties in general. And I'm really upset that there are no dribble glasses in the 24th century.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was kind of a magic trick, though, because it wasn't a dribble glass before. And then all of a sudden it was. It's the best kind of dribble glass. <laughs> <laughs> A magic dribble
0: glass. Okay. A
1: magic dribble glass. That would be the thing. And I, I think we can all agree that, uh, that I think we definitely like all the hollow deck avatars of the crew. Like, that's just fun to see everybody step out of themselves and, and do something. It was like when we got to see um, uh, Picard in, in Shakespeare doing his, in Henry V. Like, that was just fantastic. But really, Tiny Riker. Tiny Riker is the best. I think that's just... um, If if there's one takeaway from this episode, it's Tiny Riker.
0: What bothers me is, at least until the next episode, I will have the made-up lyric, Hold me closer. Tiny Riker, playing through my memory... What pleases me is, so will you.
2: So you say one of the things that bothers you about the 24th century is the fact that nobody has wild parties anymore. Right. Uh, What was the other thing? I know we were just like, oh, no dribble glasses. No dribble glass, yeah. So that's just being in the 24th century. Right. Um, living on a starship, though, you have put together j- just an incredible list of, of, of <laughs> why you don't want to. Now, I don't see, um, you know, a life of peeling potatoes on here. It,
1: it, I would think <laughs> that a life of peeling potatoes would actually be OK. As long in, as
2: you don't have starts. to do it on a starship.
1: As long as you don't have to do it on a starship. And as long as you don't have a lot of oversight, because, all right, let's look at it from the, the top down. No privacy. OK, first of all. And and that is definitely explained to us with the fact that there are no locks on the holodeck door. Yeah, uh, there's no doorbell um, or just why doesn't anybody knock? No sense of
2: propriety. Uh, none whatsoever. Now, to and Riker's it, credit, he did try to call. Right. He did. Yeah. Jordy did not. Jordy left no. the bar, and maybe it's maybe it's all the hall talking, but Jordy <laughs> left the bar and went straight to the holodeck once he found out that's where he was. Didn't say, hey, Reg, why don't you meet me at 10 Ford? Or, hey, Reg, why don't you meet me in engineering? Or, right. hey, Reg, cover up because I'm coming in. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or how about a new thing? How about a new thing? When, uh, when you're running your holodeck program, but the door opens because somebody from the outside is coming in the program changes. It's like having the escape button on a web browser.
2: Well, there. it's not necessarily going to dress you, though. That's the problem.
1: No. Well, yeah. fortunately, <laughs> Barclay was fully dressed this entire time.
2: That's true. That's um, true.
1: But, yeah, that, I, and I try to chalk it up to it being a work thing. Like, okay, if you are on the clock mm-hmm. and you are on a holodeck, you, pretty much everything is, you know, free reign. Mm. A, you know, if you are on the clock, then somebody somewhere from this ship can and will find you and put you to work. So, I maybe we can let a little bit of that slide, but still, it's just a little weird to walk in onto somebody when they're on the holodeck.
2: Do you think? Um, wait, do you think every time we saw him, though, that he was actually on the clock? Because I mean, I know he was when Riker went looking for him.
1: Yeah, well, at least that one time for sure.
2: But the time that again, yeah. Riker tried to call though. The time that Jordy went in, I mean, Jordy was off duty. Mm-hmm. Well assuming I mean he was in ten right. Ford, he was talking business, maybe this is like a three martini lunch where he's like, you know, right. yeah. oh, no no. I, to- I i was I was working in Ten Ford yeah, yeah,
1: um let's see what else there is no room for inadequacy. Yeah, on on a starship, and and it was kind of funny because Picard has that line where he says at the very beginning, "I'm not used to uh, seeing—I forget the exact words—I'm not used to seeing uh, a a review of my crew that is anything less than exemplary. Not used to seeing
2: a negative report about any of my crew. I believe it was.
1: Okay, there you go. And 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 it just seemed sort of like Lake Wobegon—you know, all (laughs) all the men are good-looking.
2: And all the, the women, women are, are strong and the children are, above, the children average. are above
1: average. Yeah. And I just kept thinking, oh, okay, so you've never seen a negative review ever working on the Enterprise. Maybe any other ship. Maybe people are lying to you. <laughs> Maybe this is not a good job for you to have. <laughs> That's um, funny. And then there's no sympathy for inadequacy. There's no, it, it's sort of like, well, they're, they're not adequate to do their jobs. Well, Well, what's their problem? Like, get rid of that. I fix it. You know, it's sort of not like. Well, we kind of need to figure this out. It's just sort of like everybody is so stunned and shocked by the idea that somebody be performing to what what, what is inadequate ninety five percent of the job ninety nine percent of the job one hundred percent all the time, hmm. which seems like torture to do a job. Um, the other thing about the future, uh, at least on a starship, is that people still make fun of you. Um, you know for all the enlightened future that we have um and boy they just get to they just get a big kick out of broccoli that that wesley the big <laughs> book of wesley jokes
2: um the big book of wesley jokes i like that i yeah. actually i actually tried to write a few of them I, I, oh, yeah oh yeah yeah well i mean okay so second week in a row that we have to question riker's ability to command i think cause oh absolutely last week in ten man he was openly badmouthing uh tim elbrin to jordy <laughs> right. right just uh, just like straight up just absolutely like, oh, yeah, I got a bunch of people I know killed. Don't like him. But, you know, pay attention to what he says because apparently we have to. Um, this week he's calling a junior officer a name uh, made up by a teenager. <laughs> right. And he's doing it behind the junior officer's back. And, you know, then I started thinking I could actually picture him going around to everybody and, and like, talking about all the nicknames that he's heard other people call, you know, like people on the internet. Like, you know, there's, there's broccoli. Yeah. Right? That's funny. And yeah. and, and, and there's messley. Ooh. Yeah. And Ooh, yeah. that was really all I could think of. Although, if anybody okay. wants to email us you know, <laughs> or give us a call, because I, I tried for easily 45 seconds, I got to Mesley and then yeah. and I quit. That's, yes.
1: that's a, you, is it that you're not so good or you think that they're not so good at coming up with uh, with nicknames? Because I, I have a feeling that, you know, they're not good at parties. They're not good <laughs> at a lot of things. They're probably not good at coming up with insults either. <laughs>
2: that's fantastic. You know? Maybe that's the reason Riker kept doing it, because nobody's done it in like 150, 200 years.
1: <laughs> like, this
2: is Boy, Wesley is really smart. Do you know what he did?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, let me take what you're saying about Riker, yeah. and, and let's just let's just get it out in the open, okay? Riker's a jerk. He is seriously a jerk, and mm-hmm. he is the guy who, up until now, can really dish it out. Boy, he, he puts on the smile and he gets Picard a horgan, and boy, he can really dish out a joke. But he <laughs> cannot take it at all. Right. <laughs> and you know, I'm reminded of. Handful of people I've worked with at other jobs, you know, charming, charismatic at first, but then you realize what a horrendous person they are. (laughs) And I kind of thought that about Riker. Like, he's the guy, your first day on the Enterprise, you go, wow, this guy is cool. He's funny. Everybody likes him. And then by day
2: three, you're like, will he please shut up? Well, Um, it's even worse than that, though, because he's passing it along, right? I mean, because Wesley and throwing Wesley under the bus at the same time. It really is kind of amazing. Because Wesley apparently, and side note, what is it about their relationship that makes Wesley think, oh, well, I can make fun of this guy. And, and the second in command of the ship will think it's funny because it's me, I guess. I don't know. But then mm-hmm. Riker is actually reinforcing that bad behavior by, by telling everybody what a funny thing this is. Uh, but then um, making it clear that it was Wes who did it and not him. <laughs> so when anything hits the fan, he's going to be holding Wes up like a shield.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> it
2: seems right. it's just uh, it, it, it was, and, and and it's quite possible, John, that you and I have been um, victims of name calling in the past. Because Maybe. boy, oh Maybe. boy, are we latching onto this! Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: everybody else is nice, though, or or if they're not nice, they're at least concerned or at least not a jerk. Who?
2: You know, that, that's kind of the standard that I'm holding. They're not a jerk about it. You mean in general or in this episode? Because In this episode. Oh, I disagree. Who's nice what? in this episode? Who's nice to him except for Picard? No, and, I'm, setting, I'm setting
1: the bar low. I'm saying at least not a jerk about it. <laughs> so okay, well, well
2: Wes is, is actually using the name, right? He's the one who made up the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duffy actually uses the name just in like polite conversation, not even making a joke. He's like, yeah, Brock is a, Brock is a tool. <laughs> this is not even. Um, Troy is also nice to him, but it's kind of her job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I kept wondering if if people are like this at Starfleet. I yes. Mean, what, what what was this like, working your way up the ranks? And and what does it say that Barclay kept passing?
2: Well, he is good. I mean, here's yeah. the thing. He is good. Jordy says... So, so data figures the whole thing with the glass, right? And he says Mm -hmm. it's it's an unshielded power source. It it probably the glass probably came into contact with an unshielded power source. That's the only way this makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't make any sense because it's a glass. There aren't many places it could go. And how they're going to like check all four thousand power sources on the Enterprise because of glass that's pretty much been in ten void the whole time.
1: Meanwhile, that stuff is a shooting holes through their bodies with radiation. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, oh, my God, the
2: glass. Yeah. yeah, So, OK, but here's the thing. So they go over to and, and Jordy really seems to think that this is basically just busy work. And I was just going to give it to Barclay. And it's almost like it's punishment because Barclay is Barclay. He's like, oh, I know just the guy to do this. Hey, Barclay, go do this thing that I don't want to do. And Barclay's like, oh, yeah, I was about to do that anyway, because it makes sense that this might actually work. So, I mean, Barclay's good at what he does
1: mm-hmm.
2: when he actually gets to doing it. Yeah. <laughs> when he gets but around I, to it, I would say.
1: Yeah. But he, I, I don't know. There, there's something about the structure here that, that leaves some questions because he made it through Starfleet being good, good but awkward, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, again, this that, that should be fine in the greater scheme of things. Yes. But then he sort of keeps getting passed along because he's good but awkward everywhere he goes. And we know that he's already been sent to one ship and now he's saying – voluntarily well I'll go to another ship I'll take myself out of this situation too um, so maybe there's a, a a hole in the way that this happens in the structure of Starfleet that lets this thing keep going keep keep perpetuating I asked myself Lee how do you solve a problem like Barclay I mean and not that his personality is a problem but because he's good at his job in the sense that he has knowledge. He's Mm -hmm. bad at his job in the sense that he doesn't show up, that he gets flustered and that he doesn't speak up to actually solve the problem when he can. And Picard's answer to the people around him is, well, we'll make him good at his job. Right. Make him do his job. And I know that I've been in situations like this before where I've been responsible for certain people at certain jobs. And you kind of take a look and you go, wow, for whatever reason, they can't do this or they're not willing to do this. And that's the interesting thing about Barclay is that he can do the thing, but he's not willing to do the thing because it's such a miserable experience for him. And I I don't know. Well, I think we'll get to this in the wrap up, but I, I don't know that I'm satisfied with the answer of how all of this comes together.
2: Hmm. Well, maybe we should save that to the wrap up then. Maybe we will.
1: Right. Um, it, is, it is interesting that you know, if anybody is going to get Barclay, it's LaForge. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I really wish that there were more of that.
2: I, well, I love the fact the problem is I actually remember that whatever it was that happened with LaForge in the holodeck is going to be revisited. I love the fact mm-hmm. though that that it, there's a certain level of discomfort around this. Jordy knows that what he did with Leah Brahms or with the Leah Brahms simulation. Yeah, may not be kosher. And I love the fact that all along the way, he's sort of trying to, you know, soften people to the idea of what he did, even though nobody knows what he did. He's like, uh, yeah, Reg, I fell in love in the holodeck. And Reg is like, really? And Jordy's like, yeah, we're moving right past that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah skip. skip.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then when they when they walk into the holodeck and Riker's like, oh, this is a completely outside of protocol. Look at the These are real people here. And Jordy's like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a rule that you can't use real people. (laughs) (laughs) And and then let's move along from why I'm worried about that.
1: Right. So let's talk about Barclay here a little bit more, because we got more than a few messages from listeners who really responded to Reg Barclay. Mm -hmm. He's a character with social anxiety disorder. Uh, I mean, at least that's one of the things that you can apply to to kind of talk about his behavior. But I I really think that the beauty of what's going on here is that his journey is so universal. I mean, we've kind of had some fun with the idea of this fantasy world of Star Trek and and how difficult it is. And that structure that we kind of understand and all of these perfect people around him who are perfect at their jobs, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. But every single person, I don't care who you are has at some point felt inadequate out of place like there is no one who gets you so why even try you know there's a similar psychological thing to what we discussed last week with tam elprin he behaves the way he does partly because he's living up to the expectation of how others see him and you can't just tell him to be different because there's this endless cycle of perception driving his behavior you know it's it, almost a chicken or egg thing. Does the, does the behavior drive the perception or the perception drive the behavior? They're, they're interlocked. And just telling Reg Barkley here, be different, be better, just, just do your thing um, is not enough. And, it, and it's kind of tragic that so many of these attempts to help this guy fail, fail so horribly. And like I said before, I'm not totally satisfied that the end of it is actually a fix for what's
2: going on. Well, when you say so many attempts to help this guy, I mean, which attempts are you talking about?
1: Well, so they send him to therapy with Deanna.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Know? And that's – granted, he pulls the plug on that, but it, it is partly Deanna's responsibility to follow up on that and, and get him the help that he needs. Mm-hmm. You have kind of the, the work the – let's call it the therapy of the workplace – of him doing his job and having the encouragement and support of the people around him in his workplace to do his job, to, to provide a condition in which he can do that mm-hmm. and not be distracted and not feel inadequate and all of these things, um, he should have the support of his superior officers to the extent that, well, let's just say that Picard is not really a people person, <laughs> but but the position that comes from the top down is, hey, don't make fun of this guy. That's inappropriate get him back to do his job. You know, there is a kind of support there, even if it's, well, misunderstanding his, uh, you know, the, the the baseline problem there. Maybe Guinan is the person that he should be talking to. Maybe it's not Jordy that should be having the conversation with Guinan, but Reg himself.
2: I, you know, I think the only thing I would disagree with is I really think there's only one valid attempt to make things better for Reg, and it is Jordy actually talking to him like a person. hmm I mean, he's ordered to, by Picard, and, and ironically, what Picard says, because what Geordi wants to do first is send him off ship, right? Yeah. And Picard says, it's easy to transfer a problem to someone else. Too easy. Yeah. So, Geordi, take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, Picard's not going to make him his project. For God's sake, he's the captain of a starship, but, you know, head of engineering, also be this guy's best friend, he actually does say. And, um, and, and you know, Jordy then is sort of like, yeah, go talk to somebody else. I mean, still with, with Deanna. But, I mean, she's not even aware, it doesn't seem, of what's coming. She actually shows up on the bridge and tells Jordy, I had an interesting meeting with one of your officers today. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't an attempt on Deanna's part to reach out to him because how is she supposed to know? I mean, granted, she's a telepath, but how is she supposed to know, right? Somebody comes to her and says, I've got an issue. And then she, you know, tries to work with that. But, but as far as reaching out to him, there was really only one valid attempt, I think, and it was the one made by. Um, it was the one made by. Uh, by Jordy. It's actually. It's kind of weird that it takes. I don't know him being hit in the head by it nine times before he's finally like, yeah, I really should try to understand this guy.
1: <laughs> and, and I guess let's just say that this is the one example of Deanna being. Not so good at her job as a telepath slash empath. Yeah, that uh, she's sitting in a room with this guy who is flustered. Uh, he is totally in love with her. Yes, <laughs> trying to hide that, which I, I'm sure Deanna has felt that from others before. Yes. So, you know, that that shouldn't be out of the ordinary um, or, or totally an unapproachable subject. But, yep. Getting yeah, absolutely nothing off him. She's just not reading him at
2: all. <laughs> no, yeah. unless I mean, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm no empath or telepath. Not, nope. you know, I can read people's thoughts kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's just so many conflicting things going on there that she doesn't even read the part about he is totally into me. Because yeah. you know what's louder is he's totally not into talking to anybody or being outside, right? right. I don't know, maybe. I love um, one of those Dwight Schultz moments that you were talking about, but it's a fantastic exchange uh, between Geordi and Barclay, where Geordi you know, says, "You're just shy," and and Barclay says, "Just shy," doesn't sound serious, does it? Mm. And it's a wonderful, it's 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 a, it's a wonderful delivery. It's a wonderful moment, and it and it says. It says so much, especially to anybody who's ever been in that situation. I used to have this thing where, um, and I, I, I probably still do <laughs> on mm-hmm. some level, I used to have this thing that where people I would meet would think that I hated them. I, mm. I, one day I was having a, a discussion with a bunch of coworkers and a friend of mine, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, was like, yeah, I thought you hated me when I first met you. And I was like, why? And he's like, because you just stood there and were quiet and didn't say anything. And to me it was just, I'm shy around new people, or I was shy around new people. Yeah. Uh hopefully I've gotten over it. some. and then he actually said to somebody else. Didn't you think he hated you when you first met him? And it turns out it was a thing that was happening with everybody. Um so I mean, I actually loved like his his delivery of that line because yeah, I mean people say I'm shy and and you think, ah, well you just get over it. But you don't realize how how big a thing that can be.
1: Well, for any of this, I mean, whether it's shy or depressed or or socially awkward or nervous or whatever, again, you know, the the wrong answer is always, well, we'll just just don't do that, just get over that, <laughs> you know. I mean, how how horribly insulting, and, get
2: confident, uh, stupid?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How terribly insulting and 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 how dismissive yeah. of of that problem you know so the, the there's this heartbreaking thing at the core of barclay but but like i said the the beauty of it is that he is so relatable in some way universally e- even if it's you know not to the extent that that he's experiencing these problems there's something really great about that um and by the way did you tell that story about um uh being perceived as hating people to to tell me that uh, that you actually like me We'll talk about that some other time.
2: There's another thing that I do want to hit, actually. There might be one other thing. I said that um, that Geordie uh, might be the only person to have actually reached out and tried to do something for Barclay. There is one other question that I had. Mm-hmm. So they're talking in engineering, and, and the thing in the glass doesn't make any sense, and the thing about the antigraph thing doesn't make any sense. And Data says, hmm, maybe those are related. And then they go to the bridge, and Data says, hey, Barclay had this idea that these two things might be related. <laughs> <laughs> Is that data reaching out? Is that data caring? Is that data trying to not sound stupid? And everybody thinks Barkley's stupid anyway. So let's go ahead and say that it was his idea. I mean, what, what was that? That was a surprising thing to have happen. And especially like, if it had happened from one act to another act, you might have actually forgotten that it was right. Barkley's idea, not Data's. But it goes straight from I, Data, have an idea to Data saying, hey, Barkley had an idea. Mm-hmm. And it's the same idea. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> what is that? Yeah, I, maybe it's just a hole in the writing. May, maybe it was, you know, the, the writers meeting saying, okay, well, we, we need to show that Barclay is making some progress here. And then, okay, so we'll, we'll get his name in the script there. Uh, oh, but it didn't actually play out like that. Oops. Hmm. I, I don't know. That's, that's really hard to say. I don't think Data would be that invested in the emotional life of the people around him, you know, just to try to make it better for somebody. Okay, I don't, I don't buy that.
2: All right, I'm not. I, and the thing is, I'm not saying that that is the case necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have sort of there was there, one time where I thought of data as Pinocchio in this episode. And one time I thought of him as Jiminy Cricket, hmm. and I, I think he was Jiminy Cricket and, at, at that moment. I can't remember when I thought he was Pinocchio, but oh, I think it was when he was lying to the captain about, hey, don't <laughs> worry about it. That mistake that you made, anybody can commi- make. I'll be over here. <laughs>
0: Reg has learned a lot this week. Now, let us see what we have learned from him.
1: Ken, some might say that Mission Log is a hollow pursuit, but I don't believe them. But today we're going to wrap up Hollow Pursuits, the episode of Next Generation, in which we met Reginald Barclay and we ask ourselves, and I will ask you, Does this episode hold up?
2: Yes. Yes, I believe so. Um, I like Dwight Schultz. I like Reg. I love the holodeck stuff. I like the messages around it, um, which, of course, we'll get to actually sort of laying out what some of the messages are in a moment. Yeah, I, I I think it works. I mean, is it... I don't know. Uh, there was definitely a big tech the tech section there. Oh, yeah. Uh, a couple of big tech the tech sections there, actually. And it's disappointing to see—what's hmm, the best way to put it? If you had one person writing the whole thing, then I don't think you would see the inconsistencies. We used to talk repeatedly about the gumbification of McCoy. Right. And we've got a definite gumbification of, uh, of Riker and, um, and uh, LaForge in this episode— Jordy is generally speaking a, a, a more understanding guy, and the first time we see him in this episode, I mean, real life him, he's barking at Barkley, and mm-hmm. and and we've not seen that before, and and it sort of bothers me. That it's like, now this week we need these guys to be dumb, so let's go ahead and make them dumb, or this week we need them to be mean, so let's go ahead and make them mean. But the Dwight Schultz character is so good. And, and and we actually do end up with a relationship. I feel like we end up with a relationship between Jordy and uh, and Barkley. So I'm willing to let those uh, those issues go. So that's me. I think it holds up. What about you?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with all of those reasons. And um, a few more that I think it works. It's always fun to see characters playing outside themselves. So the stuff actually on the holodeck is just fun. Yeah. Like I said, Tiny, Tiny Riker's great. Um, uh, fencing Picard is wonderful. Um they do that kind of thing with mirror episodes, alternate timelines, holodecks, whatever, however you want to get the characters to break out of themselves a little bit. Um, but this is also a great character study, and specifically Barclay, and examines some of the themes that we've talked about on our show before. Um, all that said, I kind of hate the ending. Um, Barclay gets over... His problems, and you know, put that in air quotes if you want, at least for now. And I do know that we will have more of Barkley down the road, uh, but let's just talk about this episode on its own for now. Um, but you know, he happened to be a small part of the team that saved the day. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the days when he's not that guy? There are all the days that led up to this day that he was not that guy. And then going forward, there will probably be many more days where he is not that guy. We see him delete his holodeck programs. Except Except for for one. one. Except for (laughs) one, you know. So I don't buy that that's over. And and yes, again, I know that it's not. But we're just talking about what we get here. Um,
2: There's no reason. uh, Forgive me. I I feel like you're maybe being a tiny bit unfair, though. There's no reason to assume that. Everything's going to be fine or that everything's going to be over. Go, um, go to the Whedon verse when, mm-hmm. when Willow was playing around with magics and she was playing around with them a little too much. And that got to the point where she was lying to people about it. And then she finally did walk away a little bit and then she ended up falling back into it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you've been, if you've had the misfortune of helping an alcoholic in your life, how many times have you heard them say they're going to stop? I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's not, I mean, it, I don't necessarily feel like, everything is fine for Reg at the end of the episode. I feel like at the end of this episode, Reg feels like everything is fine for Reg. But the fact that he goes ahead and saves one program, I mean, he's already leaving it possible for himself to slide back in. And I'm not saying this whole thing is like a giant addiction issue, although it's funny, because what what did Jordy say? You're going to be able to write the book on holodiction. addiction, yeah. So they've actually got a term for it, (laughs) unless (laughs) he's just being clever right then, but whatever. Um, I, 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 I guess... It holds up more for me because just because everything seems okay right now doesn't mean that everything's actually okay. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, I get it. I don't know. it. Like I said, I'm trying to watch this purely in the context that it was given, just purely with, with what we're given here, even though we know that there will be more of Reg. And I, I do feel like there's sort of dangling this idea in front of you that, well, today was a great day for Reg, and, and he really he really made some progress even to the extent that we, we don't have to worry about him anymore.
2: Hmm. Well, I feel feel like you're sort of drawing a line further than the 48 minutes, but okay. Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. Um, I I do think there's some other really cool things here. Like, um, I, I really love the idea actually of the holodeck as a counselor. Now the problem is that Reg has programmed his version of Deanna to be his version of Deanna. Um, but there's something kind of cool about the idea that you can program the holodeck for exactly what you need um, as a counselor uh, for some kind of training or psychological support or therapy because it might actually be easier in some respect to get along with that technology than a person Um, so I you know if a holodeck were to ever be a a technology that is real I think that's a great use for it that's kind of cool Um, and I do like The exploration of the idea of ethics of recreating your fellow crew members. Um, It's sort of (laughs) weird because it shows that he's obsessive about work. (laughs) He kind of can't get out of that. Um, But on the other hand, it's still nobody's business what he does with those avatars. there's just so much here, and, and of course, the the foundation of what's here is this great character that we're given. So um, unequivocally, I say that this holds up for sure. Now, let's talk about messages.
2: Okay. <laughs> you do you want me to, or do you want to? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it might have been an allegiance when we talked about uh, one of the messages being that everybody has a part to play. Because mm-hmm. wasn't there like there was the um, there was the sort of the cowardly person, and there was the uh, sort of just like all brawn person. Mm-hmm. But they all had to come together to finally uh, make something happen. Uh, that's much more evident in this episode. I mean, that that uh, this guy who could have been totally discounted, this guy who could have totally been just, you know, got no part to play. I mean, he actually ends up being the one to save the ship. Now, of course, you, you kind of know that that kind of thing is going to happen because we're right. concentrating him an awful lot. But still, it is sort of neat to see that play out. We've also talked a lot of times about people uh, stepping up more when more is expected of them and we get that here Ge- Jordy says come sit at the big kids table you know what I mean or come yeah. sit at the cool kids table or come sit at the grown up table and he goes to sit at the grown up table and it turns out he has grown up things to offer that nobody had really expected because they've just sort of been like ah, he talks funny and he's uncomfortable and he got here seven seconds late and yeah, th- he's useless and it turns mm-hmm. out no mm-hmm. you just you know kind of have to maybe meet him where he is a little bit but then suggest that he come meet you where you are too There's also a reminder here to think outside the box. Uh, They're all looking for connections that are logically, I mean, they're looking for logical connections, but they are connections that are logically not there. And so Reg gets illogical in his thinking or gets creative in his thinking, which is a big part of what Guinan had been talking about, about what a creative guy Reg was. And of course, it's his creative thinking that saves the day. So I hate the term think outside the box, but it's a great term. I mean, I hate it. I don't think it's a great term, but it's. I mean, what's the what's the science line? I know I've said it before. I've used it before. Uh, the most interesting scientific experiment or uh, scientific thought comes not from that's interesting, but that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, can't it's not remember a what the exa-
1: moment. It's the, the that's funny or that's interesting. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. Well, no, not it, it's not even that's interesting. It's it's that's yeah. funny. Yeah, because <laughs> I, yeah. I remember thinking that's awesome. Um, so I mean, yeah, there there are a bunch of sort of neat messages like that. I suppose. Um, what about you?
1: I, I agree with all of that. I, I like that we learn a little more about the other characters around Reg Barclay. You know, it's one of those situations where, um, like we were talking about with Lal in The Offspring, that the the direction for the writer there, Renee Echeverria, was you have to if you're creating a character, that creator has to support what we know about other characters and we get a little bit of that here um it's a little it's a little rough going i would say at some points we get some insight into geordie we get a little more insight into Guinan. um Riker comes across as a jerk <laughs> um i i really wondered about picard at some point because as i said before he's not a people person and but i even felt like in this he he had softened up a little bit if this had been first season picard He would have destroyed La Forge the minute he said broccoli, (laughs) you know, Um, and La Forge is just sort of like, oh, we're at the bar and we're still making this joke. Oh, wait, what was that thing my captain told me? (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. Don't do that. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Um, So. There's other stuff in the in the surrounding relationships that are, that are cool, and it's fun to see the moments of realization with Riker and Deanna. The moment of realization when they meet their holodeck avatars. All that stuff is great. Um, I, I think that a message that I would go with that uh, kind of piggybacks on your first message is this idea that Star Trek has shown us the times when our our enemy, and that's in big air quotes as well, is not our enemy. And in this case, rather than the enemy, it's the guy right under our noses who shouldn't be overlooked, overlooked at best, or treated as an outcast at worst. Everyone has value. Everyone has a contribution to make. We're not always so good as individuals living up to that. So I'm glad that they present this as part of the character journey, too, not just... um, not just sort of the, uh, the the hit you over the head lesson, but this idea of people having to learn this along and and maybe not always making the best decisions uh, and maybe not, not always having the right answer when it comes to working with Barclay. Um, but this is a, a deep, multifaceted character who I know I know we'll get to see more of. and
2: I'm assuming that we think that all of those messages do hold up.
1: I'm assuming that I agree with that
2: too. All right, there you go then. Then we should let people know that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about all the good work and other work that Roddenberry does at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM, that is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com.
1: And next week, we are back with The Most Toys.
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at theory.com I am not sure what the problem is with the holodeck simulations of real people. I run simulations of John and Ken all of the time. Sometimes I even let the simulations do the show. I am wondering now whether I should have told you that. And transmission.